0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Andrew colpus headmaster of St. Joseph's College, an independent co-educational school for students aged 3 to 18. Andrew, hello. Hello, Matthew. Thank you you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Now, normally we'd get straight over into the subject of leadership, but considering the ongoing COVID outbreak, we must start there. Obviously, this has not been a normal year for any of us. Uh, Nonetheless, uh, schools are still needing to provide education to their pupils. How have you been able to do so over the past several months, and what is the plan during this academic year commencing now?
1: So in March, we moved to providing all of our teaching online, and without doubt, that was a little bit of a challenge to start with, but I was pleased with how quickly our staff and pupils adapted to it. Um, during the summer term, we were able to bring back our pupils in year six and below for the part of June, and it was good to have those pupils back in school. And we're now looking forward to pupils in year seven and above returning next week. And so our plan is that for hopefully for as long as possible, as long as there's no um, future lockdown, that we'll be teaching all pupils here in school full time. But also we are prepared that if there is to be another lockdown, then we are able to hopefully quite seamlessly um, go and back to what we were doing um, early in the year with remote teaching and learning. Um, all of our lessons being delivered um, sort of through Google, meets um, and Google classes using sort of the video conferencing technology.
0: Now, of course, um, it is a changing world, uh, and we are looking at a different form uh, of social interaction from here too. However, how are the pupils adapting uh, to all the restrictions placed on their lives?
1: I think. As a school we're quite fortunate to have parents who are supportive of education and our pupils to be in homes where they have access to technology which has enabled them to sort of facilitate the sort of the online teaching and learning. I, I appreciate that it's not the case for all families across the country. But um I feel that our pupils have adapted very well and therefore would have learned maybe a very useful life skill for the future. Um, which I think you know, probably won't hold them back, but actually provide them with opportunities of realizing that you know the future isn't always certain, and we need to be sort of flexible about you know the options that are there for us and how we can make best use of them.
0: Now there have been some questions more related to higher education uh, when it comes to uh, tuition and online learning. Uh, some uh, people. Uh, very well, uh, maybe justified in feeling that if they're not getting the full experience that was paid for, uh, they don't feel as though they should be paying the full whack, as it were. What's your answer to those people?
1: It's always a sort of a, a, a difficult part, you know. As a school, um, we need to be still sort of paying our our, our our bills, and therefore, you know, we need the income coming in to be able to be providing and the teaching and the teaching costs, you know, our staff costs are um, the majority of our expenditure, like for any institution involved in education. Um, We did, as a school, reduce our fees by 15% during the summer term, which hopefully took into account that we weren't providing that full experience. But definitely the response from our parents is that they were very positive about the education that we were providing that actually they were impressed by the quality of the lessons and that, you know, they felt that, you know, their children hadn't, um, whilst they perhaps had missed out on the social aspect of of coming to school, actually that the teaching was still being provided day in, day out. And so they were happy with that. The other thing that we were aware of is that obviously for some of our parents, you know, maybe they were in situations where their own income um, was, you know, perhaps they'd seen a decrease in that due to their own personal employment. And therefore, we set money aside to support those parents who might have had difficulty paying our fees.
0: Now, we should uh, move on to the subject of leadership, of course. Um, I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you?
1: I feel that a leader is someone who has vision for their organisation or in, in my case, the school, and sort of has that ideas of where it needs to go for the future. And attached to that is someone who's able to visualise you know, what that organisation is going to look like, is able to formulate the strategic steps required to get there, and able to communicate that vision effectively to others, so that they would be prepared to sort of lead in the direction that's being set.
0: And how would you describe your uh, day-to-day leadership style?
1: I hope that others would say that I am someone who has that vision, someone who embraces change, is positive about the future, someone who's perhaps prepared to take risks rather than always taking the safe option. But alongside that, someone who doesn't always get it right and is happy to admit when I've got it wrong. And I think that's really important, being able to admit that you've made mistakes, because I think it allows others not to be constrained by the fear of getting things wrong. And I think that's true for both the staff and also it's an excellent role model for the pupils that they can actually um, learn to learn from their mistakes and not be fearful of getting um, errors.
0: Now, of course, that's an interesting subject uh, to uh, embrace. Uh, How do we train the next generation of emerging leaders? How do we encourage the young to take up the mantle of responsibility?
1: I think it's making sure that they've got opportunities to develop. So for our pupils, it's about giving them leadership opportunities. Um, so, you know, particularly for our sort of senior pupils, making sure there's those opportunities there for them. Um, for example, you know, our music prefects run our junior wind band. They have to run all the rehearsals. They conduct the wind band at any concert. You know, it gives them that opportunity to really take on a meaningful leadership opportunity for others of our pupils that get involved in the CAFOD Youth Leadership Programme, yet again, gives them exposure outside of the school into um, leadership training. Some key sort of parts of school right through from our youngest to our oldest is sort of hoping to try and get them to develop the attributes of commitment, collaboration, confidence and communication. And we try and bring that through the whole time. And I think those bits will also enable our pupils, hopefully in the future, to take on leadership opportunities that come their way.
0: Now, do you feel that you require a, a different sort of leadership when dealing with the pupils than when dealing with the staff or, say, with the parents?
1: I think you, for me, I think I want to be the same person. So I've got that integrity that, you know, I'm just as happy to stand in front of the pupils and share my vision to say that I'm going to get things wrong. And I do that in front of the pupils. I think there needs to be that consistency of who you are. Um, rather than being a sort of mixed message that, no, the pupils see one aspect, the staff see others. I think it perhaps comes across sometimes in a slightly different way in terms of, you know, perhaps your approachability a little bit. But I hope that, you know, um, for whether staff, pupils or parents, they would accept that, you know, I've got an open door. I am approachable and supportive um, of them.
0: Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for St. Joseph's College?
1: I think it's probably a difficult question if we look back over the last 12 months. I mean, probably none of us could have really foreseen the effect COVID would have had um, over the last six months. But probably what it's shown me is the importance of flexibility and innovation. Um, So some of what perhaps we've got planned may need to change. But we, we want to continue to be a school that is providing a first class education, whether the pupils are here in school or if we need to provide it remotely. And, you know, for us, it isn't just about um, exam results, important as they are, but it is also really making sure that we prepare our pupils for, for the future. As I just sort of mentioned, that those really key attributes of for, for us is for those commitment, collaboration, confidence and communication. We have a new partnership with the London Mozart Players, and you know, we're looking forward to seeing how that um, develops. Um, For us, you know, we we really see the importance of creativity and the arts and want that to be an important aspect, along with the sort of the STEM activities that we've got planned.
0: Well, Andrew, it's been a pleasure to have you on the program today. And of course, we have to have you back to hear about what exciting projects you have going on at St. Joseph's College. Uh, But for now, Andrew, thank you. That was Andrew Kulpis, headmaster of St. Joseph's College. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is my exclusive interview with our chairman, Lord Blunkett. Lord Blunkett, welcome.
2: Thank you very much. It's very good to be with you.
0: Um, Well, of course, uh, nothing is being said uh, at the moment other than COVID-19, which uh, we must touch on. Um, What would your message be to small businesses who are trying to keep going?
2: Well, I think the last ones standing will be the ones that thrive when we get back to some sort of normality. So it's have confidence and courage. Obviously, take advantage as far as you can of the government help. I think that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has gone about as far as you could have expected Mm -hmm. in the circumstances. There are obviously small businesses that fall between the cracks, those who uh, don't have um, declined premises, can't benefit from the business rate waiver, Uh, have not really been able to demonstrate that they can uh, adhere to the PAYE for furloughing staff, and of course, whether they can receive the the grant, 10,000 or 25,000, all all of those who can uh, are obviously able at least to benefit from that for the time being and look to the future. But I think the second thing to say, and they don't need me to tell them this as a politician who who did once do a business studies qualification, which is that it will be a different world. And being able mm. to think about how that world will look in a year's time and be creative about it and learn from not just what's happening to you at this moment in time, but to others around you and the sector that you're working in, that will be really important.
0: Do you feel that the long-term uh, effects of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak... And you're absolutely right. In a, in a liberal uh, democracy that we live in, it's, it's very difficult for people to swallow orders given to them from government. Um,
2: well, the, the UK and, um, and the US, and to some extent uh, the Scandinavian countries, have a very different hi- interest, uh, history and, and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and mm. consent that's required all kinds of reasons, because people were feeling their way. I think what's come out of it has been a demonstration by local police services in some parts of the country that they could get people to do what was needed without the heavy hand of drones overhead mm. or people being told that they you know, shouldn't be walking in the street, because this was all about self-isolation, not incarceration. It was about getting people not to pass the infection on to each other and therefore to provide distance rather than to make our lives a misery. Those police services that adopted that policing by consent and chivying people along did really well. Those who went over the top, I think soon got a very substantial pushback. And one of the strengths of our democracy is that you could have that debate. People could say I'm terribly sorry. We we think the police force in our area has gone over the top. And that in itself is a constraint and uh, a readjustment. That's another strength of um, living in a country where you can have opinions and express them without actually being thought to be a fool.